1: Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of hang on the holy land land grant hollands flagship podcast we are back after a bye week for ohio state we obviously didn't have a recap with no game this past weekend but we are back to preview indiana for you guys this week josh how are you feeling uh what's up what's going on haven't talked to you in a little extra time since our since our last pod
0: yeah man i'm rested had a week off ready to get back into it and talk some ohio state football and all things happening there and uh you know, it, it kind of sucks that this game doesn't have the prestige that we thought it would coming into the season, but I think it's still an interesting
1: opponent. And, uh, ready to
0: roll, man. Good to talk to you, Gene. It's been a while. Yeah,
1: yeah it's good to be back. Um, obviously, we will talk a lot about the upcoming Indiana Hoosiers matchup coming up on this Saturday night in Indiana. But before that, just a couple of quick Ohio State news and notes to touch on. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so obviously the big news of the day was Ohio State's latest commitment in the 2022 class, four-star defensive end Kenyatta Jackson. He is the first defensive lineman in the 2022 class, so it's kind of weird that it took, you know, till mid to late October for Ohio State to land their first guy, but Larry Johnson holds in another big name. Uh, this is a really solid commitment. It's not just like, you know, they needed a guy, so they found a guy. This is a very quality top 100 player. And someone that, that Larry Johnson, you know, on Twitter, he's was, he was tweeting out a gift himself self-dance in the locker room. So it's a guy that Ohio State is certainly happy to have. And it moves their class back into the the top five overall. And I'm sure it will continue to climb as they're still in the mix for a bunch of different four and five-star talents, especially along that defensive line. But it's another another big get for this Ohio State 2022 class as it continues to uh, stack really, really high-quality blue-chip talent.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm really excited about just sort of the profile of Kenyatta Jackson. You know, he's like 6'5", 235, prototypical edge size it and really he could be considered slight depending on how you want to look at it but that's just a matter of time until he gets in the weight room with coach Mick Uh, he'll probably have somewhat similar to like a Zach Harrison transformation but a similar profile to Zach Harrison good speed off the edge I think they actually I think he plays in a 3-4 in all in uh, high school if I'm not mistaken so um, you know good speed coming off that edge he's not necessarily that uh, JT to him allow Body type, but um, you know I've watched some of his stuff online. Um, Larry Johnson, you know, really brought up his character as well, and it's good to finally get that that first defensive line commit into the fold because then he can help recruit others. And I think it's just a matter of time before they land two to three to four more guys to really uh, replenish the defensive line. Not that it needs a ton of replenishment with the current talent we have and their age, but it's really good to get another high quality
1: prospect in the fold. Absolutely. And, you know, he's rated the number seven edge prospect in the country, the number 11 prospect out of Florida. We know Ohio State has had that Florida pipeline going for quite some time now, dating back to the early days of Urban Meyer. And uh, he is actually, he he attends Shamanad Madonna Prep in Hollywood, Florida. He's actually the uh, high school teammate of Ryan Turner, who is another Ohio State commit in this 2022 class. So that's a fun little... Uh, connection they'll have coming in. Two guys that are high school teammates coming in now are going to be teammates at the collegiate level in Columbus. So yeah, it's another big get and like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more guys enter the fold now with Kenyatta Jackson kind of breaking the ice I saw Jeremy Birmingham of Letterman Row tweet that he you know he expects this to be like a three to five man Ohio State defensive line class and looking at some of the guys that Ohio State is still in on along that defensive line that could mean really big things because while it's taken a while for Ohio State to get this first guy a lot of the reason for that is because Ohio State's chasing a lot of you know really really high quality talent along the defensive line and a lot of those guys tend to wait towards the end of the line so when you're looking at you know five and high four star quality prospects out there, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer to get it. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a riskier play if you're Ohio State, but if they're confident that they could get these guys later and it's worth waiting for them, then I certainly trust guys like Larry Johnson or Ryan Day to get the job done, especially when it comes to defensive line with what we've seen over these last, you know, 10 years or so at Ohio State.
0: Yeah. With Jack Sawyer and JT in the fold, I guess you can be a little bit more selective in the very next class. And that seems to be what Ohio State is doing um, and you know the thing I, I didn't bring up before but the thing that I like about Kenyatta Jackson is he has family <clears throat> excuse me that played in the NFL his grandpa and two uncles I believe and so that doesn't always translate but it never hurts right to, ha- to come from a football pedigree and for him to be able to lean on you know family members and elders that he can kind of learn from and get some uh, some tricks of the trade it never hurts because you're going to get the best coaching in the world for my money from Larry Johnson but to have that as a resource too, to reach out to to family and kind of pick their brains about about things that you're seeing on the defensive line that's a that's a cool thing too
1: yeah, absolutely. And it was actually really funny. I was watching the uh, his Instagram Live, which was basically like one of his friends holding his phone while they did the, the CBS Sports uh, announcement for his commitment today. And while he's holding the phone on Instagram Live, he, his friend's talking to another guy and he goes, oh, he just got a coach from he just got a text from Coach Day at Ohio State. And so it was pretty funny just being like, he kind of gave it away in a bit that like if Ryan Day's texting him that at that time, it's clear that, you know, he's probably texting him about his commitment. So that was another just like funny little tidbit. But it is good to see Ohio State get that 2022 class rolling again. Um, In terms of other just uh, personnel news in terms of Ohio State, there was the uh, Ryan Day and uh, Al Washington both spoke to reporters today, just their weekly press conference ahead of the Indiana game and they had some injuries on some uh, some updates on some injuries for Ohio State coming into this week uh mostly good news they said uh, both Haskell Garrett and Cam Brown are both expected to be back for Indiana so it's good clear they got those guys healthy coming off the bye week you know cam Brown's been pretty beat up dating back to last season coming back from that Achilles injury and he's been you know on and off this year as well trying to still rehab that same injury and Haskell Garrett left the last game Ohio State played against Maryland with some kind of injury but it appears he will be good to go as well so obviously good to have both of those guys in the fray as those are two of Ohio State's you know best Best defensive players so far this year at, at, at two very important positions, and then and uh, on top of that, uh, Al Washington. They were talking about uh, Steel Chambers and how good he's played, and they said kind of expect to see. A little bit more of him moving forward, which you know I think Josh and I kind of expected with how well he's played so far. So it's good to see that the coaches are recognizing his efforts so far this season. He did look really, really good against Maryland. He's really flying around there. He looks like a real, you know, he this guy was a running back last year, but he already looks like a real natural linebacker. So all all positive news on the Ohio State personnel front heading into a what was supposed to be a really big game against Indiana, but has kind of lost a little bit of its luster with the Hoosiers the way the Hoosiers have played. But for, for Ohio State right now, it's it's all steam ahead.
0: Yeah, it seems like the bye came at a, a really opportune time, right? Not only for guys to get healthy, but for the coach it gives the coaches an opportunity to like you mentioned work uh, you know, spend some additional time with Steel Chambers, kind of wrap him up, get him ready to go for increased playing time. So to get it in the middle of the season, uh, I always consider that a plus. Uh, You need a reset kind of halfway through. It's a really good time to get that as opposed to earlier or much later. So it gave them about, you know, 10, 12, 13 days to sort of work on some things or, you know, it will by by the time Saturday rolls around, give them about two weeks to kind of refine some things, get guys healthy, like I said, and hopefully continue to bring it together specifically on the defensive side of the ball. And then just to give the guys on the offense an extra week off too is um, a benefit, especially I like for the running backs, especially to get those guys healthy. We've seen them dinged up here and there. So a week off for those guys is going to be big and just, uh, you know, a, a week in the middle to regroup and get ready for what should be the toughest start. Toughest stretch of your schedule, uh, specifically later in the season.
1: Yeah, and you know, just in terms of Ohio State's linebacker core, it's actually it's really important that Steele Chambers kind of plays well for the rest of this year because Ohio State's getting getting pretty thin in that linebacker core. I, I believe they're down to six scholarship linebackers with the transfers of Dallas Gant and Kavon Pope. Uh, you know, Al Washington talked about both of those guys a little bit today, kind of saying you know it was understandable. You know, they're frustrated that they weren't playing. He kind of he cleared the air with Kavon Pope. There's no you know uh, there's no heat between them. I know that was a, a bad situation on the sideline there, but it seems like you know the two parties have made up and that there's a mutual understanding there. Of what went on, and you know, that's the parting of ways is probably best for both parties, but. You know now Ohio State. You really, you know, Taraja Mitchell and uh, Cody Simon have been your two starters there now for a couple games. You know, behind them you have Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and then just you know a couple other rotational guys. We haven't really seen much of Reed Carrico yet this year. You got a couple other guys on the roster that are walk-ons and you know guys that haven't played a lot. So the linebacker core is pretty thin right now. They're an injury or two away from being in a in a real tight spot. So Steel Chambers really coming into his own this year could be really important for that group. Uh, but otherwise, I think, you know, health-wise, I think Ohio State's in a good spot. You know, I think Denzel Burke and Cam Brown are probably your two top corners. So to have them both healthy going into a, a game against Indiana, which is one of the, you know, not a not a great passing offense, but one of the better wide receivers they'll play all year in Ty Freifogel. Um, you know, the defensive line is starting to come together. All those guys are, are getting healthy with Haskell Garrett out there. Um, on offense, you're, you're good across the board. I mean, Travion Henderson is, is you know, they've they've taken him out a couple times now for, like, minor injuries, but that's really just to make sure he's good against these teams they know are going to beat by 50 in those games where he doesn't have to play more than a half, so that's good to see. And, of course, all the, the wide receivers, CJ Stroud's fully healthy now with that shoulder, and he just got another week of kind of less stress on that shoulder so to be even better. So, all in all, I think Ohio State's in a really good spot, and like you said, it, it's really this was a good, a good timed bye week because the schedule coming up is, is very tough, and, you know, to have you want to be at your best when you play these teams and you want them to be at their best as well, but especially for Ohio State, having a lot of these top guys healthy going into the, the final stretch of the season that's really going to determine their, you know, their their quest for a national title and their quest for the college football playoff. Uh it, it's about, you know, where you'd want them to be right now. There's not, you know, other than Josh Proctor, who's obviously out for the year, it seems that Ohio State is, is at maximum capacity moving forward.
0: Yeah, you know, you brought up CJ Stroud and I kind of forgot to mention it. It doesn't seem like the shoulder has been bothering him, but to get him a week off of game action, it can't hurt, right? Any lingering effects, any lingering soreness that he may or may not have been dealing with um, should hopefully fall by the wayside with that additional time off. So he's another guy that could benefit from it. And I think it also gives the coaching staff and really the team just – I don't want to say an opportunity to look ahead, but this may have been one of those weeks where yes, they were full on Indiana prep and you never want to look ahead. Right. And the coaches are going to tell you that too, but you know, I I don't know, maybe they spent a little bit of time, maybe it was a half an hour, an hour, something like that. Just, Hey, don't, don't forget that we play a Penn state in two weeks, something like that. So um and you know, I I could be wrong. Maybe they didn't do any of that, but it at least affords you that opportunity to sort of look at some other teams in the conference. Even if you're not playing, it gives those guys on the team a chance to watch future opponents and just kind of see what they like to do, see what they like to run on offense and defense and maybe that's not something that they had the luxury of doing during a game week, you're you're dialed in on just that opponent. It gives them an opportunity to, you know, watch some games and see what the Penn States and Michigan states and Michigans of the world are doing out there as well.
1: Yeah, Josh. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it was from a couple days. Or it was actually from yesterday, I think. There was a tweet from College CFB Numbers is the Twitter account, and it's a graph of twenty twenty one quarterbacks in college football and the Power Five, actually, just Power Five quarterbacks. And it's a graph of quarterbacks along uh, the x axis is expected points added per play, and the y is their ESPN QBR. So it's you know kind of a an upwards trajectory of, you know, the guys that are in the top right are, are your best quarterbacks in the country, and C.J. Stroud finds himself at the very top of the list, right next to Matt Corral and Pitts' Kenny Pickett, so, you know, two guys that are, have been considered in the Heisman race, and then a guy that Ohio State fans wanted benched after two weeks, so it's just funny to see, you know, how far C.J. Stroud has come in such a short period of time that, you know, analytically right now, he is one of the top quarterbacks in college football, and having watched him these past two week, two games, really, uh, it it certainly looks like it with the way the offense is moving, so... It's really impressive. I think, you know, that the shoulder injury, I think, played a large part in that. But also, as we've talked about time and time again, you know, the confidence and just getting the offense working right and kind of running the right scheme of offense with the way that... With all these players Ohio State has, there, there shouldn't be a bad way to run it, but there's certainly a, a, a perfect way to run it. And I think the mixture of a... Kind of Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields' offense kind of mushed together with a lot of the plays they run now is the right way to use CJ Stroud, and he looks really comfortable and healthy. And you know now he's he's playing himself into one of the best quarterbacks in the country just a, a few short weeks after people were crying for his benching. So I just think that's a little a little funny to watch, and I, I'm happy for CJ Stroud that he's been able to come this far and that he's looking like the guy that we expected to see in the preseason.
0: Yeah, I had not seen that, but it's um, I guess it's not surprising given the last couple of weeks and yeah it sort of makes Ohio State fans, at least some of us, look foolish that we were calling for this kid's head, you know, a month ago. And then you look at the broader landscape of college football too. Um, You know, you look at a school like Clemson, Oklahoma, and the issues that they've had at quarterback, and it it really just forces me and it should force us to sit back and, and realize how Good we have it, and I think it's just more praise towards Ryan Day, especially and his his coaches too, Corey Dennis and guys like that, that they have been able to get CJ Stroud up to speed and really moving fast, um, you know, based off of what what we saw earlier in the year, and it's just it's kudos to them, and it's They do such a great job of development that it's a true luxury for Ohio State fans to have and to be able to watch, to see the growth and the progression. And it just goes to show you that given some time, these guys, they know what they're doing. As much as we sometimes say, you know, thanks to the contrary, these guys deserve the benefit of the doubt. The track record is there. Just look at the Haskins Haskins is and the Justin Fields and guys like that, um, give the coaches time. You know, they know what they're doing. They deserve the benefit of the doubt and take it easy on the kids, too. If you don't like what you're seeing one, two, three games in, you got to let it breathe. You got to let it give it some time because we're really in a great position. And when it comes to quarterback, I, I would take this situation over that of any other you know,
1: situations in the country across the college football landscape. Yeah. And, you know, talking about just how good Ohio State has it, we really kind of saw some of that unfold this weekend when we got to watch the rest of the college football world play without Ohio State in action. Uh, not a lot of pretty games this weekend. You know, I said last week that, you know, sometimes when you have a, an on paper bad schedule, it winds up being good because, uh, you know, things weird things happen. Uh, not quite this weekend I would say there was you know the one big upset was obviously Purdue over Iowa I think the Iowa the Iowa carriage finally turned back into a pumpkin where having no offense is going to come back and bite you. And uh, they they lost 24 to 7 to Purdue at home they'll up 240 yards to David Bell. Uh, you know I would never see another big 10 school you know suffer a loss like that at Iowa, especially to a really fast Purdue receiver uh, you know those never. two though, that game was uh, like those two teams playing each other like both things happened that happened to Ohio State in their two losses and it was just it was you weird know, I, to watch.
0: I have to jump in there. We talked about it a little bit beforehand. on a scale of one to 10, how were you, how surprised were you at that outcome though?
1: Uh, probably like a three. Like, I, I don't know about, I don't know if I expected them to get, like, they didn't really get blown out. I mean, 24-7 isn't pretty, but, like, it's just Iowa hasn't been able to score all year, and if their defense isn't forcing turnovers, they can't move the ball, and that's what happened against Purdue. They didn't force turnovers, and their offense scored seven points. So, you know, that, they've been they've been flirting with death, it seemed like, all year, and I, I still think their defense is really good, but... You know Spencer Petrus and that offense. Even Tyler Goodson looks like he's taking a step back. Like they just don't have the guys to get it done on the offensive side of the ball. And you know we've we've seen in the last couple of years college football really transform into an offense first league. Even Nick Saban himself has kind of admitted that you know you need that high powered offense to compete in college football these days. Just having that that solid defense isn't enough. And Iowa Iowa's been doing it this way forever, and they they refuse to change. And it's you know they're gonna keep doing this. They're gonna beat teams that they should beat because they're really good at defense. They'll get some big wins over some big opponents because they force turnovers. But then at the end of the day, if they find themselves in a game where they have to come back and they're down a score or two, it's going to be nearly impossible because they don't have the offense to do it. And that's just that's just the team Iowa is. I still think they're a solid team. They'll probably still win the West, but that, that offense isn't pretty and it doesn't look like it's getting any better.
0: Yeah, Jeff Brom has Kirk Ferentz's number and I think credit due to the Purdue defense uh, as well. Their strength of schedule is not has not been the greatest, but on paper, they were a good defense. And you saw that come to fruition on Saturday against Iowa, you know, George Karloftis, that kid is an animal uh, for Purdue. And he definitely led the charge. He was all over Spencer Petrus throughout the game. Um, and just, you know, that, that unit performed really well. I still don't in the grand scheme of things, I don't know what it means for Purdue. I think they're still a, a, a seven and five team or, or something of that nature, but um, credit to the defense; they played really well, even if it was against and I don't know I don't want to say inept Iowa offense. But they did what they needed to do to come out with an upset victory. Although I don't know how upsetting it
1: was. I guess is the the broader point. Yeah, absolutely. And I just you know it's Purdue now to their credit is ranked in the top twenty five. They're at the very twenty fifth spot. Uh, Ohio State will probably have to play both of those teams. If they you know, if they win out, they'll play Iowa in the Big Ten title, and they obviously have Purdue on the schedule. So they have two demons to exercise there coming up later this year. Uh, but just looking around kind of the rest of the top five, everyone else kind of handled business. Uh, Georgia and Cincinnati continue to look like Georgia and Cincinnati, both getting dominating wins. Uh, Oklahoma kind of looks like it has new life with Caleb Williams at quarterback, which is you know, something I kind of expected once they bench Rattler. I really like Caleb Williams and that team, that offense, just runs so much better with him under center. Uh, Bama looked angry against Mississippi state, beating them 49 to nine. So the Bama, I think is still going to be a team in play. And if they can beat Georgia at the end of the year in the SEC title game, I I think we'll see two SEC teams in the playoff. And then other than that, you know, just kind of around the big 10, Michigan state stayed undefeated with a 20 to 15 win over Indiana. Um, and I guess that's really only the only notable things that happened among ranked teams. There was also, I mean, another just funny storyline outside the Big Ten was that LSU beat Florida and then promptly told that Orgeron he's fired at the end of the season. So I guess a weird weekend of college football in a way, but nothing overly exciting. I don't think, you know, the, the Tennessee Ole Miss game got weird at the end with people throwing mustard bottles and such on the field at Tennessee. But other than that, there wasn't a ton of intrigue over the weekend, and it was, you know, it like I said, like we kind of said going in, if there was a weekend to ever go pumpkin picking or, you know, walk through a cornfield, that was probably it, so we didn't miss a ton, and, you know, it's just like we talked about just getting into this topic, you know, it, it shows how good Ohio State has it that they don't suffer these kind of, you know, the the clunkers that, you know, like, a, where they're not going to score seven points. I know they've had their, you know, obviously the, the Purdue game and the Iowa loss of, of past has, was a weird circumstance, and I don't think that's the kind of thing you're going to see under Ryan Day in any way, but you know, it was it, watching offense this weekend with unless you were watching really the Alabama or uh, Oklahoma games was not was not fun.
0: Yeah, I think the whole week and really the whole season, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know how odd this week was because this whole season seems sort of odd. It definitely seems out of the ordinary, but I think it just speaks to the parody in college football this year. And that's good for the game. You know, it's good when you get some different teams up there in the top five, top 10, even if it doesn't last, you know, like I wasn't going to last as the number two team in the country, but it's good for the game when there is increased parity and there are, there is an opportunity for more teams to get a bite at the apple. And so as we move forward and maybe the playoff grows, we don't know when it's going to grow. All of that stuff is still TBD, but it's a positive development for the game, even if it makes Ohio State feel, fans feel a little uncomfortable. You know, we love those seasons when we we know we're almost guaranteed a top four, top five spot as long as we take care of business. Maybe some increased pressure is good in the grand scheme of things. Maybe it makes Ohio State and other teams dial in and focus more and avoid those upsets later in the season. So I think it's a good thing for the game. Yeah, it's odd to see some of these upsets, but at the end of the day, you want to see competition. You want to see, at least I want to see more of like that NFL atmosphere where a lot of teams have an opportunity to sort of reach the playoff and get to a a championship game. It's just, um, it's refreshing, I guess is the, the bigger point. It's refreshing to see new teams rise up and challenge some of these
1: old stalwarts. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because it does feel like that, and like it has been a weird season. But at the end of the day, like there's a very realistic chance that we we see a College Football Playoff of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. So while (laughs) while these teams are all like, it it does seem like there is there's less gap between the top teams and the bottom teams. I still I think it's funny that you know other than Clemson, who is an entirely dead college football team and they'll probably lose to Pitt this weekend um we still could see like a, a very you know similar top four than we've seen in years prior so even with all the parity which i do think you're correct on it is you know there's a still a real possibility that we see the the same old suspects in the final four at the end of the year so that's probably the likelihood of you know what will force us to get towards that 18 playoff or whatever have you the new number we get to but it seems like if there's going to be four teams in the playoff we're going to wind up with some some four out of the top six that we see every year so Until that changes, I don't know how much parity we'll need to really knock off one of the the big names in college football and not see one one of those four in it. But nonetheless, yeah, go ahead.
0: (laughs) I I really don't want to sidetrack us, so you can move on past this pretty quickly if you want. But I thought it was interesting. I saw a clip online uh, of Dan Patrick talking about he had heard from a source that they are looking at moving towards a 12-team playoff. Did you see that? I have not, but that sounds like a lot. Yeah, like he alluded to it. Who knows, you know, what his sources are like, you know, for my money, DP is one of the greatest uh, on air personalities, but I don't know how much of an insider he truly is. But I thought that that was interesting that he at least threw that little nugget out there. And if that happens, guess what? I'm all for that, too. Uh, I would be game for up to 16. But that's just a little aside that I saw during the week that I want to throw out there
1: yeah, and I mean, you know they're obviously looking at 8, 12, 16, whatever you know the number is going to be, but it just, it is tough for I think it's really only tough for fans of like Ohio State, Alabama, and like the top schools where your games are gonna matter a little bit less because you know in, in a 12 to 16 team playoff Ohio State is is in virtually every year regardless of what they do. It doesn't really matter. like they could probably lose a game or two and still make it in that scenario. So it does make the regular season feel a little bit less. Uh, important, but that's really only the case for a very select few number of schools. So as Ohio State fans, we might complain about a little bit, but at the end of the day, uh, getting a guaranteed playoff spot isn't the worst thing in the world, but we won't go too much into that. We'll have tons of time at the end of the year to discuss college football playoff stuff, but in the meantime, we will get to the Indiana Hoosiers, who, as we alluded to earlier, uh, you know, Ohio State kind of has their schedule backloaded, where, you know, they're going to play a tough second half of the team, It's a tough second half of the schedule. For Indiana, I don't know who they pissed off, but Their schedule in this first half of the season has been absolutely brutal. Uh, They've started the season two and four. All four of those losses have come against ranked teams. They opened up the season at Iowa. They also have losses on the road at Penn State and then at home against Cincinnati and Michigan State. And now coming off that Michigan State loss... Michigan State loss have to play Ohio State, so they're playing five ranked teams in their first seven games. Certainly not the easiest stretch in the world, especially for an Indiana team that has been really ravaged by injuries. So I don't think this Indiana team is as bad as their record would indicate. I don't think they're a two and four team. I think if they had played, you know, the Maryland's and Rutgers and Minnesota and the teams are going to play later in the year, I think they would look a lot better. But Obviously the injury to Michael Penix has hampered them a bit. They've you know they've lost some of their top guys on defense here and there. So overall it's been a tough year for Indiana coming off. It was a really special year for them in 2020. And, uh, yeah, it's not quite the the matchup we expected to see uh, or later in the year, especially with it being at Indiana. We thought they would be, you know, a marquee game. And it is a night game. And, you know, there will be some extra emotion for Indiana because they thought they got screwed last year when Ohio State made the Big Ten title game, which is incorrect. But still, it's how they felt. Um, and so it, there will be intrigue in this game, but it isn't quite the, you know, Ohio State's coming to this game as 19-point favorites. It isn't quite the, the upset special we expect it to be, but it could still be a really good game if if some things break certain ways.
0: Yeah, I think that, to use a football term, Indiana clearly outkicked their coverage last year Um, in the performance where they almost or, you know, in their opinion, should have made it to a Big Ten championship game. I still think I think Tom Allen's a really, really good coach, and I think he's really, really good for that Indiana program. But just where they're at right now, they cannot overcome injuries to some of their key players. They can't just reload or backfill positions as easily as an Ohio State, Alabama, you name it, and and we've seen that this year, right? Not only have they played a very difficult schedule, but they've been ravaged by injuries, which you alluded to, which we'll kind of get into further, but had all of their guys been and remained healthy, I think we'd be talking about a different matchup and a different team. But the way things have played out, you know, they just they can't overcome losses to a quarterback, some of their best defensive backs. Um, they've been hurt receiver wise too. Um, the transfer they got from Florida State. His name is, is escaping me right now. Uh, he was going to be a weapon for them. He tore his ACL, I believe. So they're just not in a position to where they can backfill as easily as we can and It's going to hurt. It's probably going to hurt for the remainder of the year. They're not a two and four football team, but they do have a two and four record right now. And the thing about the thing that makes them dangerous, though, is what do they have to lose at this point? Right. They can throw all hands on deck. Anyone who's healthy, they're going to put out there. They're going to try and get creative. And under Tom Allen, I think they're going to play their butts off, too. So it still presents a challenge, just not the challenge we anticipated coming into the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like the on top of the injuries, I think a big, you know, underlying story going into the season was you know, losing Wop Fillier to the NFL uh, was a big loss for them. And I know they still have Ty Freifogel, but it was almost like, a you know, it was almost like their version of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, obviously at a much smaller scale. But Watt Fillier and Ty Freifogel were a really good duo for them. And I think now only having the one, you know, teams are able to just key in on Freifogel. And, you know, like you said, they've had some other wide receiver injuries and they just haven't really had a, a clear number two guy out there. So, uh, so teams could just, you know, put their best guy on Ty Freifogel and it really limits what Indiana could do on offense. We know that Indiana has never really been a, A great running team. They've really been a passing team. So, between the injury to Penix, you know, having only one true star wide receiver out there and some other injuries, it's really hampered what they could do on offense. And and it shows in their numbers. They come into this game ranking as the number 107 offense in the country. Uh, They're number 96 in rushing offense, number 88 in passing offense. Uh, To their credit, they are still really good on defense. They're the number 37 total defense in the country. They rank. 39th in rushing and 49th in passing yards allowed. So they are still playing really good on defense, but the offense has just not been there due to a variety of factors that we've touched on. And, you know, we've alluded to Michael Penix. It's not 100% certain that he's not going to play in this game, uh, but it doesn't sound likely. And, you know, what makes it sound even less likely is that they're not redshirting their freshman backup, Donovan McCulley. Uh, it seems like he's gonna be their number two guy behind Jack Tuttle. And so having them not redshirt him seems like they might feel like they need him. So I feel like it's highly doubtly that Michael Penix will play in this game. And you know, even when he was playing this year, he wasn't having his greatest season. I think the guy has just been too beat up and injuries have really gotten to him because when he first showed up in Indiana, he really looked like a star, and now he's just had a ton of significant injuries. And you know, coming to this year before in, in the five games he played before he got hurt, he had four touchdowns and seven picks, and he just didn't look like him usual himself. He doesn't have the confidence he once had. he doesn't have the accuracy he once had, and I think he's really just been beaten down by these injuries, and it's really sad to see because I really liked him as a quarterback. He was one of the best quarterback like prospects they've ever had. But now they have Jack Tuttle out there as their starter. Uh, last week against Michigan State, he threw he completed twenty eight of fifty two passes for one hundred and eighty eight yards, no touchdowns, two picks. He's really not, you know, the guy. If they had their choice, they obviously wouldn't have had him as the, the starter coming into the year. I don't think he's bad. I think they they kind of mold the offense a little bit differently around him, where they do more of short stuff instead of the, the deep balls they like to throw at Penix. But it, it's clearly not the offense Indiana would like to be running. And I feel bad for Penix and I feel bad for Tom Allen because I feel like you know if he hadn't sustained all those injuries and they had some of these guys on offense. I think they'd have, I don't think they'd be quite as good as last year. They looked like you said, they outkicked their coverage, but I do think that they're, you know, they're a better team than the record showed this year. So I think neither record these past two years are indicative of the type of team Indiana is.
0: The thing that's a real bummer for Michael Penix Jr. is yes, it's the injuries, but what the injuries do is it takes away or it robs him of an opportunity to put a stretch together I always feel like he's had in the past two to three really good games and then something happens. And I've been critical of his accuracy as a passer, but he can extend plays. He's creative back there. And for all the other guys on the team, Fry Fogle, you mentioned Wap Villior, Peyton Hendershot, I'm big on their tight end. I think that Penix has still been the guy that makes that offense go because of his ability to extend plays and be athletic back there. So you're right. Like something's just not right with him this year. I don't think that he has regressed greatly. I think the injuries have just mounted up. Maybe it's in his head, too. There's always a confidence factor that comes into play. But even when he was, quote, unquote, healthy, he wasn't the same guy and that's, that does suck for him. And it sucks for the big 10 too, because I think they've got a really talented team around him, but when you, you know, kind of take out one of the legs and I would definitely say that Michael Penix jr. Was a major appendage. I guess you could call him the arm, the left arm, but um, it's just, that's something, like I said, they can't come back from Jack Tuttle is a fifth year senior. Who's been primarily a backup for a reason, Um, he's not on the same level as Michael Penix Jr. And I think the biggest surprise though, from what we've seen from their offense is the inability for Steven Carr to get much going. You know, I know that he wasn't wildly successful at USC, but he still had that pedigree and he played in a lot of rotations, right? He was still a decent running back, but right now for Indiana, I think he's averaging like 3.6 yards per carry. They've not been able to get the running game going. So Are you surprised at the ineffectiveness of Stephen Carr, or do you think that's more, that says more about their offensive line and their struggles there?
1: Yeah, I'm a little surprised by just him specifically. But at the same time, like I said, like Indiana has just seemed to never want to run the football. And they've never really been particularly good at it. You know, they had Stevie Scott there for the felt like the last 10 years. And it was just like a he was a power back that was going to get you four yards a carry. And, you know, kind of like we've talked about with some Ohio State running backs this year. He's a guy that's, you know, if you if you give him four yards, he'll get you four yards. And if you give him 12 yards, he'll get you four yards. So it's just like it's not. It's not a great explosive rushing attack. He only has a little over 400 rushing yards on the season with four touchdowns. And like you said, he's only averaging 3.6 yards per carry. And, you know, it doesn't help when they don't have much of a passing game to establish the running game, even if they're trying to do it in reverse splits. Um, Outside of the guys you mentioned, Fogel and Hendershot, there's really not much there. Uh, Both of those guys only have a touchdown each on the season, and those are their top two receiving threats. So that's not what you love to see. Um, along cool. the oh yeah it's it's not great. Uh, along the offensive line, they return four starters, but it's a unit that wasn't particularly good last year and isn't having a particularly good season this year. Uh, they're tied for 58th in all of college football with 12 sacks allowed. Um, so you know overall, it's just not the pieces on. They have a couple pieces on offense, but it's not enough to get the job done. Um, I still think it'll be an interesting. I wouldn't say test, but it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting like to look at for the Ohio State defense and how they play in this game, just because I guess you know I, I would say it's a similar. Similarly effective offense to that of Maryland's. I think Maryland's, you know, Rakeem Jarrett is probably better than anyone on Indiana. But other than that, I think, you know, the, these are two similarly styled offenses in the way they like to attack short and they don't really run the ball a ton. So it'll be another test for Ohio State's secondary. We'll get to see some of their healthy players out there. I think it'll be a good matchup on that side of the ball. And another step up before, you know, Ohio State plays an actual good offense or one of the better offenses they'll play playing the big 10, at least in Penn state the following week. So, you know, as, as we've talked about week after week, it seems like there's just a ramp up in, in competition every week. So I think this is another good test for the Ohio state defense, even though, you know, obviously you know, Jack Tuttle, isn't quite the threat that Michael Penix is. And, you know, th- think, there's a lot uh, of guys out there that are not healthy.
0: Sorry, Jane. I think that uh, the Peyton Hendershot matchup will be interesting. And I wrote about him for this week's offensive player to watch. He's a really skillful player tight end. Um, and I don't feel like Ohio State has faced one of those this year. Uh, two years ago, he was, my gosh, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me that I had for the article, but uh, you know, like 50 some catches, 600 yards.
1: Yeah. And he was a guy that was expected to be really good last year and he just kind of disappeared. And now he seems to be back. I don't know what happened there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, he had some off field stuff, which, you know, I don't know enough about. I read up on it a little bit. I'm not going to go into it that in that much detail but that probably played a role in his ineffectiveness as a player in 2020 I don't know but um, the thing that I'm really interested in is to see how the Ohio State defense plans for him and schemes against him because down the road we'll see a couple other teams Penn State Michigan, maybe Iowa, they like to involve the tight ends as well. I, I don't know if they're as skilled as a Peyton Hendershot. He's 6'4", 250, decent speed. Um, he's not a big down-the-field guy, but they'll put him out wide. They even threw him at least one, I think two screens out wide um, against Michigan State. He's really good with the ball in his hands. He gets a lot of his yardage after the catch, and so – when you think about this Ohio State defense, A, they haven't faced a guy like this. And B, they're still trying to figure out their own, definitely the back seven. And so what will they do? How will they plan for Peyton Hendershot? I talked about it in the article that's going up tomorrow. You know, the linebackers have not been tasked with guarding a tight end for a majority of the game. I think Cody Simon. Uh, and steel chambers would probably be your go-tos for that from the linebacker position they are I don't know if I more athletic is the right way to put it but I just I think that they're more ideally suited for coverage because I think Taraja Mitchell is just he's a heat-seeking missile it's see ball get ball hurt the guy carrying it And, and I love that about Taraja Mitchell but he hasn't made any plays in the passing game Cody Simon has a pick um But the one guy that I would really like to see on the field is Craig Young because of his physical profile, because of his skills um, and his ability, you know, he matches up size wise with Peyton Hendershot and, and he's got better speed than Peyton Hendershot. We've seen glimpses of Craig Young. He had the pick six. He's played, in my opinion, really well when he's been out there. So I'd like to see him involved in some way. Because I don't think that Ohio State, it's going to be a group effort, but I don't, I hope that Ohio State does not look to bring safeties down or keep safeties down to cover Peyton Hendershaw because I think the safeties we have are better as as kind of like roamers, I guess I would put it. Ronnie Hickman is a guy that you put him kind of in the back seven, back Half of the field, and you just you kind of let him roam. You let him make plays. He's the leading tackler on the team. Um, and if you put him in a coverage role, I don't know if that limits his effectiveness effectiveness. I think that it would. So I hope that they have some sort of plan to involve multiple people, but Craig Young is the guy that I'm really interested in to see if he gets an increase in reps and playing time specifically for this game because of the mobile tight end, the pass-catching tight end that Indiana has.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the Hendershot versus... Ohio State's linebacker core is a very important matchup to watch in this game. And like you said, Ohio State hasn't really played a team with with a pass catching tight end that's a threat like Henderson is. And I don't think Ohio State, we talked earlier about how they have a lack of of depth at linebacker. And I don't really think they have a guy who is more of a pure coverage linebacker. I think like a guy like Pete Werner was that guy for the past few exactly. years. We saw him exactly. match up. We saw him match up with like Pat Fryermuth on, and on Penn State on a number of occasions on one on ones. And I don't know if Ohio State has a linebacker they could trust right now in a one on one coverage. Scenario with a guy like Peyton Hendershot. So, like you said, it'll be interesting to see how they figure that out. Will they have, you know, the guy who's the bullet kind of shadow him, whether it be Ronnie Hickman or Craig Young? Do they try, you know, bringing down Marcus Williamson from his safety spot? That could be interesting. He's a guy who's played, you know, some slot corner in the past. So, that could be an interesting matchup for them, even though he's probably undersized in that matchup. So, it'll be something to watch. It's something that, you know, Ohio State's had two weeks now to prepare for. So, I'm sure they're ready for it. But, It will be something that we see from Ohio State's defense that we haven't seen quite yet. And I think, you know, the the move to more of a cover two look will probably help in that area because I'm sure a lot of Peyton Hendershot's plays are not, you know, deep balls. There's probably a lot of stuff over the middle and a lot of short out routes and stuff like that as tight ends mostly run. So I think that will help in this area and maybe they'll look to run a little bit of zone across the middle to kind of help out with that. But it will be interesting to watch that matchup. Um, and then just, yeah, I, I think that's that's a really good point. I think that Ohio State, we've seen in the past, has struggled with good tight ends. Uh, you know, see, Iowa, see the Iowa loss that we referenced earlier, that was pretty much all tight end based. Um, I don't imagine they'll have the same issues they had in that game, but... Uh, it's definitely something that we haven't seen yet, and it's you know every week we kind of learn more about this Ohio State defense, and this will be another way that we learn about them. Can they cover these these tight ends they've struggled with in the past? How do they look to do it? What do the the rotations look like on defense? Do we see more Craig Young? There's a lot of questions we still have, and I think that that matchup prov- provides some good answers as to you know who they who Ohio State trusts out there the most in these coverage situations.
0: Yeah, I think that. Indiana's offense versus Ohio State's defense provides some intrigue, but I I don't think they have any shot of really outscoring Ohio State or outgunning them for sure. I think it's going to be the other way around if they hope to stay in this game. I do think that for the injuries that they've suffered and are still dealing with, I still think Ohio or Indiana, I'm sorry, has some skill on defense. Defense And they've got some guys on that side of the ball. Um, You know, they've got Micah McFadden, three and a half sacks this year. He's their leading tackler. He's a dog at linebacker. I really like him. They brought in Ryder Anderson from Ole Miss. And I don't know if you've seen any of him. Uh, He's a dude at defensive end. He's big. He's like 6'6", 270, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Came over from Ole Miss. He's got a ton of experience, 30 tackles on the season, two and a half sacks. So a couple of guys in that front seven and the secondary has really, really been hampered by injuries. It doesn't sound like uh, they don't sound too optimistic about uh, Taiwan Mollin and Reese Taylor. They're definitely questionable right now. And, uh, you know, Tom Allen didn't exude confidence in getting them back on the field. If they if they were able to get healthy, then I think it becomes at least a little more interesting because those are two uh, starters, two good guys in the secondary. I mean, Mullen specifically was uh, a monster last year. You know, I think he had like uh, three, three and a half sacks, a couple of picks, all Big Ten guy. He's been dinged up. He's missed the last couple of games. So. Their secondary is where they could either it's it's going to be feast or famine. You know, I think we still put up numbers, but if they can get some guys healthy by Saturday, I do think it makes it a little bit more interesting um, just based on past performance and experience. They still do have Devin Matthews. He missed the first couple of games, um, but he's back and he's their third or fourth leading tackler, I think, in only three games played. So they do, do still have some talent. But again, it comes back to do they have enough, because if you're going up against this Ohio State offense, you need four to five to six, seven really good players on that side of the ball to hope to compete. And I just I don't know that they can get to that number. I think they have three or four healthy and, um, you know, the Mullen and uh, Taylor injuries that that did not help their chances to say the least.
1: Are you telling me that having a not healthy secondary against Ohio state's offense is bad?
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of, it kind of goes without saying, but um, that was probably their only chance to really, they would hope to force some turnovers, right? Because they're just, they're too limited elsewhere, even with the great play of Micah McFadden. And so if this secondary is in its current state, then I think it, I I don't want to say this, but it could get ugly just based on what we've seen from Ohio State's offense. And that's not speaking about the coaching or the ability on the other side of the ball. It's just it's a numbers game and they don't have the numbers.
1: Yeah, it's honestly a shame. Taiwan Mullen is one of the top corners in all the country, not only the Big Ten. Uh, he has missed the team's last two games. Uh, that, you know, uh, Tom Allen said he was hopeful today that he'd get him and Reese Taylor back, but it doesn't, you know, he's obviously going to play close to the vest with Ohio State coming to town. I, I would I would be surprised if, you know, either of those guys played, and even if they do play, I'd be surprised if they're 100%. And, you know, even if they have Taiwan Mullen back, there's only one of him, and you still have to cover, you know, if he's on Chris Olave, you still have to cover Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. So, it's a tall task for any defensive secondary to face, and especially if you're missing your top guy out there it becomes a nearly impossible task. But the other two guys you mentioned were also guys I had written down, Mike McFadden and Ryder Anderson. Mike McFadden, probably one of the top linebackers in the Big Ten. He's definitely Indiana's best defensive player right now with with Mullen out. Uh, leads the team with 36 total tackles, has nine tackles for loss, and like you said, three and a half sacks. All of those are team highs. He also has a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. He does it all out there. He, he blitzes. He plays in coverage. He's a really, really good linebacker. He's a guy that would certainly start on Ohio State's defense right now, that's for sure. Uh, and then, like you said, Ryder Anderson, the transfer from Ole Miss, he is second on the team with six tackles for a loss and two and a half sacks. He's been their best defensive lineman. So, you know, for a team like Indiana, which we thought coming into the season, the strength of that team, the strength of that defense would be their back seven. It's more or less been the front seven. They've actually been a really good team against the run this year. Uh, they held Kenneth Walker on Michigan State last week to 84 yards on 23 carries. So we'll see if they could have a similar performance against a Travion Henderson and that Ohio State offensive line. And another guy uh, I had written down here is Marcelino Ball, who is kind of Indiana's version of the Bullet. Uh, He had a torn ACL last year. He comes back this year. He's got 21 total tackles on the year and a pick. So he's another interesting guy out there. And, you know, this Indiana defense as a whole uh Kane Womack is gone their defensive coordinator that that did so much good for them but they still play a 4 they still love to bring a ton of pressure up the middle uh we've seen them you know it, it kind of confuses teams because it's not what you usually see usually you see the pressure off the edge so by bringing that like kind of speed blitz up the middle it does seem to confuse quarterbacks we saw it last year with Justin Fields when he had one of his his worst games at Ohio State when he threw three picks against them but you know, even still in that game, Ohio State led 35-7, to and it wasn't too much too much trouble until Ohio State kind of took their foot off the gas in the second half. But nonetheless, the defense is certainly the part of this team that I'd be more concerned with than the offense of it. And with the way Ohio State's playing right now, I'm less worried about Ohio State's offense than their defense. So it's kind of strength on strength here. Uh, with Ohio State's offense against their defense. But, like we've talked about, with Mullen out p- potentially, with Reese Taylor out potentially, it's really going to put a burden on that secondary. And, you know, with the way CJ Stroud is slinging it right now, even a fully healthy Indiana would probably have a pretty tough time stopping that Ohio State offense, as most teams in the country, not named Georgia, likely would.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they would have to rely on multiple turnovers to really keep this game super close. Um, and just taking it back to Mike and McFadden, I mean, I, I don't know why I find myself watching too much football, first of all. But, you know, I, I watch a lot, as many Big Ten games as I can, and I've seen quite a bit of Micah McFadden. I don't, I don't know if he's one of the best linebackers in the country, but if he's not, he's damn close. Um, he's just a do-it-all guy. I love to watch him play. I like his style. He's willing to get his nose in there on every single play, um, you know, lay down some hits. He can play in coverage. Um, he's just a really great linebacker and it's another bummer, the injury situation, because you get a guy like this at Indiana, his skill level and his kind of, uh, you know, football acumen, he is arguably a transcendent college football player. If you want to title it that way. Um, and for him to, you know, be a senior coming back off of a great year and individually a great year. Now he just sees guys going around him left and right. That's got to be a bummer for a guy like that at a school like Indiana. So um, I still expect him to make some plays. I think he's going to be a thorn in Ohio State's side. And, you know, he's only one guy, but I'm still going to have my eyes on him too, just because of. Uh, you know, his set and the way he plays, uh, you said it, I would take him on Ohio state in a heartbeat and that's not a shot at anybody else on Ohio state's team. I just like Micah McFadden that much. I think he's a hell of a football player.
1: Absolutely. And I think the key for Indiana's defense in this game and for Indiana as a whole, just to keep this game close is to really get pressure on CJ Stroud. We haven't seen a team really come after CJ Stroud all that much. He's had a relatively clean pocket. Most of the time, he hasn't really been under duress a ton. So If Indiana could get a little bit of a pass rush in this game, we know they like to blitz. I'm sure they'll do it a ton in this game. CJ Stroud's still a young quarterback. He's still a first-year starter. He hasn't seen a ton of pressure in his face, and maybe that could force him into some turnovers. Uh, Who knows? But like we we saw it against Justin Fields last year, and it, it worked on occasion. So I'm sure they'll look to dial up a similar scheme to what they did against Ohio State last year, at least what they did in the second half, which seemed to work better than whatever it was they did in the first half of that game. But yeah, I, I think if Indiana has any chance in this game, it's going to start with that defense getting pressure and forcing Ohio State into some mistakes because if they're just going to, you know, sit back there and let Ohio State pass and try to just defend the pass, I, I don't think that's going to work out for really anyone in the country, and especially not with the the health status of Indiana's best players um so I'm I'm looking at that as kind of one of the keys to this game can Indiana get pressure uh we know how good Ohio State's offensive line has been this year in pass protection at least the run blocking has been you know iffy at sometimes I think the the four tackles offensive line has something to do with that I would like to see you know more of Matt Jones I don't think you could really run a situational offensive guard out there but if you were to do it he would be the guy I think he's a better run blocker than some of the tackles they have playing on the interior but either way I think Ohio State's offensive line has played well. I think this is one of the better, you know, teams in terms of uh getting pressure they've faced. So we'll see how that matchup plays out. But yeah, I think if Indiana has any chance of keeping this game close, it's gonna have to start with, you know, forcing CJ Stroud into mistakes and getting in his face early and often.
0: Yeah, no disagreement here. We keep uh circling back around to injuries. I think that's the the big theme here is is uh Indiana's just too decimated by them. I think it's going to hurt them in the long run. I hope that they do get some guys back. Um, Even if it's not this week, I'd like to see them get competitive. But uh, no, we're kind of dancing around it. Let's get the score predictions. Gene, where are you at on this one?
1: Yeah, if Indiana was fully healthy, and that includes Michael Panix and the defensive guys, I think this would be a closer game. I know the line Vegas has is about 19 right now. Um, I don't really even see it being that close. I'm still not fully sold on Ohio State's defense, but I don't think they have to be all that great to stop Jack Tuttle in that offense right now funny enough I'm sure this is a story everyone will will tell this week and it was told a little bit last year um Jack Tuttle was the high school quarterback of Chris Olave and the reason that Ohio State went to scout Chris Olave was actually to look at Jack Tuttle as a quarterback prospect and they wound up finding Chris Olave when they went to go view him so the reason uh Ohio State has Jack Tuttle to thank for Chris Olave so maybe they'll they'll throw him a bone and give him a free touchdown there just as a thank you note for Chris Olave but I I think that Ohio State continues to roll in this game. I think it's a good, you know, another next step towards that Penn State big matchup that's going to be now announced as a night game, so that should be fun in their all-red uniforms that weekend. I'm going to say Ohio State 51-17. Um, I think Ohio State's offense, especially with all, you know, without Mullen out there, I don't see if see how Indiana has anyone to stop Uh, Those wide receivers on Ohio State, I think the offense is just clicking it it too well right now, especially coming off a bye week to really fix some of the minor issues they had. I don't think they'll be able to hold uh, Trayvon Henderson to the totals that Kenneth Walker had, even though I really like Kenneth Walker. I just think Trayvon Henderson is a different kind of dude. And, you know, between the running game and the passing game, I think Ohio State rolls and their defense does enough against Jack Tunnel to really keep them off the scoreboard.
0: Okay, so I like your Indiana prediction, um, and I still do think that Ohio State covers, but I'm going to be a little bit more conservative here, I think, for all the injuries they've dealt with and, you know, and everything, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I know they're hurting, but I know they've still got some playmakers. So I think they actually hold Ohio State under 40, but I'm going to go with 38-17, um, you know, this is going to be the first game Ohio State plays, I believe, where the weather is going to be a little bit cooler. Uh, probably, you know, 50-ish here in Columbus comes Saturday night. Uh, fall has finally arrived. So not, not that that has a huge impact on the game, but I, I don't know. I'm just going to go over under on seven-point total impact there um, for whatever reason. So I'm going to say 38-17. I think that Ohio State will look good. I think they'll button up what they need to, but I just I think Ohio uh Indiana, I'm sorry, makes a couple of plays, maybe forces a couple more punts than we're accustomed to seeing. I don't know if it's going to be a turnover game or anything like that, but I'll just be a little bit more conservative and say 38-17.
1: Yeah, this is the first game of the year I'm actually like confident in Ohio State winning big, which means there's absolutely no chance they actually win big. It's going to be a much closer game than we expect and I'm sure I'll be stressing in the second half, but Uh, yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at. i you know, the last two weeks may have jaded me. I had a week off to think about the, the Maryland and the Rutgers performances. I have that dancing in my head. So maybe I am overly optimistic, but I just, you know, I don't know how much, I know Indiana, like they have all this stuff with Ohio State last year and everything, but at, at two and four on the year, I mean, their season's more or less over. I don't know how much they have left to play for at this point. You know, a lot of injuries, a lot, a lot of bad luck coming their way. So I just don't know. I mean, maybe they'll give it some fire in the first half, and then if Ohio State gets out to a big lead, they just kind of you know, fall asleep. But I could see it going either way. Um, yeah, I don't really. Do you have any other closing thoughts, Josh, before we get out of here? I will be. I just want to put it out there. This is coming out on Wednesday. Uh, Coastal Carolina plays tonight, and they're minus four against App State, and I will be taking that because that seems like free money. But that's all I have for you in terms of betting advice. Josh?
0: No, I was going to bring up the schedule and you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say we have a little midweek special with Coastal against App State. Um, No, you know, the schedule is it's kind of junk this weekend as well. Now, we said that last week, but um, I'm not really finding any really intriguing matchups. I I can't even find right now one matchup of ranked teams. So, you know, it would be. Upset alert, if you could find that. Uh, A little bit interested in the Oklahoma State-Iowa State game. Oklahoma State's up to eighth in the country right now. Iowa State came into the season with a lot of hype. They're currently unranked, but if you believe in Matt Campbell, which I don't, um, you know, I know Ohio State had a flirtation with him or supposed flirtation with him for a while. Uh, Look, you know, just because you get Iowa State to – nine wins every once in a blue moon i'm not overly impressed that being said um i'll be probably dialed into that game a little bit to see if they can take down the cowboys and really that's about it you've got usc notre dame that doesn't have the intrigue that it normally has uh notre dame's probably overhyped at number 13 usc has not performed well this year so um another one of those weeks where you can probably plan some stuff for earlier in the day and just make sure you're, in home, you're home in time for the Ohio State game. But it's going to be another uh, kind of lackadaisical week in college football. So I'm just going to be getting hyped up for that night game and uh, watching for any upsets. I don't think Wisconsin takes down Purdue. Uh, Northwestern, no chance against Michigan. Same thing for Illinois versus Penn State. This should be a week where the, the big teams should roll, and I expect them to do so.
1: Yeah, I mean, the most fun games to watch this week are definitely going to be those midweek games. I think Coastal at App State will be a really fun game to watch. I think the same about Tulane, SMU. So it's a big week for the group of five teams. Uh, But yeah, like you said, other than that, there is really no intriguing matchups this weekend. I think it'll be really funny if Clemson loses to Pitt. Uh, you they think are that the happens? underdog. Uh, I don't know. I mean, them being the underdog, it makes me almost have to bet on Clemson just out of like principle. But it would be very funny if Pitt wins. I mean, Clemson's offense is absolutely atrocious, and Kenny Pickett's killing it at Pitt. So I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be surprised at all if they won that game. But it, it's just it's a weird season, man. I mean, Northwestern beating Michigan would be hilarious. That's definitely not going to happen, but it would be very very funny. Uh, yeah, un, un, unranked Wisconsin playing at ranked Purdue is exactly what we all thought would happen going into the year uh and other than that yeah really not much on the what schedule. about what about tennessee at alabama i mean i, I was I looking at, at that the... i was if that was at tennessee i think it would be intriguing but uh you because know, they would
0: throw stuff at Nick Saban. exactly
1: yes that just for the golf balls being thrown at Nick Saban, it would be more intriguing but yeah i mean Tennessee is definitely playing better than they were earlier in the year they're still not great i don't know if their their quarterback is is hurt long term i don't you know Joe Milton is certainly not that guy having run out of bounds instead of throwing the ball on the last play of the game. I don't really know the decision there. But, yeah, man, it's it's a bad schedule this weekend. So, yeah, get, get your fall activities in early. Uh, watch some of the midweek games when there's nothing else on. And uh, then strap in for Ohio State Indiana at night in uh, in Indiana. I've been to that stadium. It's pretty cool. Uh, when I was there, it was it's it's a smaller stadium. It was like fifty percent Ohio State fans, if not more, when I was there. I'm sure it'll be the same with the way that Indiana has started this year. So it won't be too much of a home field advantage for Indiana, I would imagine. At least you know for the second half, hopefully, but. Uh, Yeah, it should be a fun game, and that'll really, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, that's really the only thing to look forward to this weekend. There's not a ton of fun on the schedule, but maybe, you know, we we had a bad week last week on a bad schedule on paper. Maybe we get the good week with a bad week on schedule this year, this week.
0: Yeah, we just need to get through another one, and then Ohio State's really going to get into the meat of their schedule. So, um, you know, stay with us, keep tuning in for these previews, and just, you know, soon enough, we're going to be talking about the Penn States, Michigan States, and Michigans of the world.
1: Oh, week nine is a banger in college football. We'll get to that next week, but there's a lot of good games on week nine besides Ohio State. That's, especially in the Big Ten, that's Michigan plays Michigan State that weekend. You got Penn State, Ohio State. That's, there's a lot of big matchups that we can look forward to. So that will be a good one. So get your full activities done now because next weekend you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're on the TV for all Saturday. So get it done now.
0: All right, Gene, you got me. I'm, I'm going to uh, mess around this weekend and then I, I'm fully dialed in next week. I, I'm only like 80 to 90% dialed in every week so far this season, but my problem to you is to be 100% next week. We love to see it.
1: All right, well, that's going to be all for us this week. Uh, We will be back with you sometime after the game this weekend to give you a recap on all the things that happened in Bloomington. Uh, Be sure to read all of our content at landgrandholyland.com. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, all that good stuff. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. We will see you this weekend. And as always, go Bucks.